Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 175, Bringing Justice to Fiction, an interview with Lynette Eason coming to you on Thursday, January 16th, 2020. Aw, today's January 16th. Do you know what that is? <laughs> Let me tell you a story. On January 16th, 1988, 32 years ago, my husband and I went on our first date. It was interesting. <laughs> I borrowed a skirt from my sister so that I would look really nice, even though it was January in northern Michigan. And I think we had two or three feet of snow, snow on the ground, so almost a meter. And yet I was like, no, it's the first date with this guy I really want to go out with. So of course I'm going to wear a skirt. It's a wool skirt. <laughs> Not tights, just pantyhose. I was already thinking about how I was going to freeze, but I had these adorable little suede boots that I was like, I'm going to look awesome, but <laughs> things went wrong from the beginning. He showed up early. I wasn't entirely ready, but I hurried because he seemed kind of annoyed that I wasn't ready early. So I was like, okay, no, no, I can be ready. And so we march off into the dark, cold January night because I was 19 and he was 20 and we didn't have a car. So we were going to walk to the movie theater. Not a bad problem, really. I mean, it's what we did all the time. We walked everywhere. But he wanted to cut through the park on a, a a part of the park that didn't have a trail that had actually been shoveled. So we were walking through snowdrifts and I have these little ankle high suede boots and pantyhose. And I'm just thinking, what is he thinking? Does, does he know any girls? Does he know how this works? So I'm walking in his footsteps, hoping that at least I won't get too much snow down my boots. Oh my gosh, it was a very cold walk. And then we get to the convenience store where he was hurrying to get there so that he could buy a lottery ticket before seven o'clock, which I was like, okay, that's all right. I am not annoyed with this. I wanted to go out with you. I will choose to be happy. So we go to the movie and we see a horror movie called The Hidden, which I enjoyed very much. And I was thinking, ooh, horror movie, this will be great. Every time something scary happens, I'll like jump and grab his arm. And then, you know, it'll be like a way to get closer to each other. And yeah, I had the whole plan going and I did it several times and he didn't move at all. And I'm like, well, this is just stupid. I'm I'm not doing this anymore. So I folded my arms and then I watched the entire rest of the movie with my arms folded. And he tried to take my hand once or twice. And I was like, no, pulling away. <laughs> so then, okay, after that, we went to Sydney's, this really cute, adorable little restaurant that unfortunately got closed because apparently they didn't pay their taxes. But they were open at the time. And so we had a chocolate chip uh, ice cream sundae. I think we shared one or maybe we had two and realized that was too much. And then in the future, we shared one. I don't remember that part. Anyway, it was absolutely delicious. I flirted. He acted like that was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I still really want to like you. So I'm just going to keep smiling. <laughs> so the place where he and his brother were renting, it was on the way back to the college dorms where I was staying. So we stopped in there, get warmed up. You know, maybe everything will warm up. Maybe he will stop being so chilly. <laughs> 
his place, of course, the first thing that we do is play with rats. Yes, he had pet rats. I tried really hard to pretend that I liked them, especially the way that they like crawled up behind the back of my neck and like wiggled their little noses in my hair. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. No, it's wonderful. Uh huh. Yeah, no, it's great. (laughs) I was really trying hard to like this guy. But you know what? It didn't really warm up. And so after a while, I was thinking, you know what? I'm a modern 80s woman. This is 1988 after all. I'm 19 years old. I can I can do the mature modern thing that women do. If men ask women out on dates and then pay for the dates and then seem to demand their kiss as payment at the end, I will do the same. I asked him out. I paid. I'm getting my kiss and I'm leaving. This was a, not a good night. Kind of a disaster and I'm done. Once again, not really working out the way I thought it would. There was some playing hard to get or something. And then finally, I was like, fine. Similar to like in the movie theater, as soon as I mentally crossed my arms and started thinking, all right, I'm going to just get my coat and go back to the dorms. Then he decided, oh, well, now that you're giving up trying, I will kiss you. It was a good kiss. It was a very nice kiss. (laughs) It was a memorable kiss. So, yeah. I did go back to my dorms, but I also kept on seeing him. (laughs) It was the worst date ever. I think it might be the worst day of our entire lives. But (laughs) 32 years later, here we are still together. And this is what led me to write romantic comedies. So there you go. Now you know. And I get to talk about it because he's gotten a little bit tired of me mentioning this for the last 31 years in a row. I'm pretty sure he thinks the story goes somewhat differently, but that is my version of it. So I'm sticking to it. (laughs) And there's no reason not to just say, you know what, John? Thank you that now I write romantic comedies for a living because that is worth it. And he still is a really great kisser. (laughs) So that is my story for today, January 16th. The very first thing that I do when I introduce our new guest, Lynette Eason, is ask her, how did you get started? So you've heard my story. Let's go listen to Lynette's story and find out how she ended up writing about good guys versus bad guys and murder and really terrible crimes and military and FBI and law enforcement. And it's a very, very good book that we're talking about. I read the whole thing. I loved the whole thing. You must go check out Collateral Damage. It's book one in a new series, which always makes it lovely because now you know that you haven't missed anything. And uh, it is out now. So Collateral Damage by Lynette Eason. Go check it out. And here's the interview with Lynette. Today's guest is Lynette Eason. Lynette is the best-selling author of Protecting Tanner Hollow, as well as The Blue Justice, Women of Justice, Deadly Reunions, Hidden Identity, and Elite Guardian series. She is the winner of three ACFW Carroll Awards, the Sela Award, and the Inspirational Reader's Choice Award, among others. She is a graduate of the University of South Carolina and has a master's degree in education from Converse College. She lives in South Carolina with her husband and two children. Welcome, Lynette. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
Yay, I was so excited that you had time because as we're talking, which will probably be last week as listeners are listening, your book just came out a couple days ago. It did on January 7th, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. Yay. <laughs> it's always fun to have a big birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've probably been doing a lot of marketing and promotion and that sort of thing this week. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Um, I probably don't do as much as much, you know, as, as I as I could, but um, I have to write too. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were just saying that we, we need to definitely stop talking after a little while because it's morning for you and it's time to start your writing day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but this is fun too, so it's all good. Oh, good. Well, hopefully we'll get you all excited about um, your stories and you'll be like, okay, I'm excited to say goodbye because I'm really full of energy now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's kind of start at the beginning for people who don't know you. Um, Why don't you just kind of talk to us about how you got started um, and then kind of wind up through getting to uh, this new book birthday for collateral damage. Well, <clears throat> when I first started writing, I was, um, it was probably about 20 years ago. And so my husband travels a lot with his job and was gone all the time. And so as you can imagine, as a newlywed um, and with a small child, I was, you know, kind of lonely. And um, at this point, uh, most of my friends didn't have kids yet. I had most, I had the, I had the baby first. so. Um, I was at home while they were out doing stuff, you know, whatever. But, um, and so I just, I, I always liked to write and I kind of was kind of wanted to write a book. And so I decided, well, you know what, this might be a really good time to do that. And so I decided to talk to the voices of my head. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's how I actually started writing. It was basically out of loneliness. Um, and so from there, I didn't really start writing with the intention of getting published. But I think maybe it was kind of back there in the back of my head that it might be kind of fun to try. And so when I finished the story, I sent it off and got completely rejected. And <laughs> well, and then that made me mad. And I was like, wait a minute. This is a good story. Um, it was a totally horrible story. But um, <laughs> so then I decided, well, I'm just going to see what I can do to, to I'm going to get published at least once just to show you I can do it. And then from there, it just kind of took off. I really liked it. And it turned into a career which is really exciting so wow. I think um I think collateral damage is like like 61 or 62 I can't remember but yeah wow I noticed you had a lot of books on your website but I didn't realize that there was you know 60 plus uh, on there yeah I and mean, that includes the novellas that I've written and um that yeah it includes the novellas so because I wrote for Love Inspired as well so not now. I'm, I'm strict a straight Ravel at this point, but I had 30 books with, with them. So yeah. So anyway. Oh my goodness. I've done a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you were uh, a young mom uh, wondering, you know, how long it was going to be until your husband gets home. I mean, I, I, I've been married a long time. Yeah. And I'm still like, Oh, how long do I have until he gets home? Like I kind of miss him. I also, I'm kind of enjoying like doing my own thing right now. Um, and so the voices in your head were some of them talking about murder and mayhem and kidnapping. <laughs> and <laughs> that sounds really scary. 
right other. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, um, yes, yes, actually. Um, I grew up reading like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys and um, Trixie Belden and I don't know, Sweet Valley High. And so, um, oh, Agatha Christie was one of my favorite and Alfred Hitchcock. And so, um, I've just always been drawn to the the mystery, the puzzle, the justice versus, you know, um, the the good guys versus the bad guys. I don't know, kind of like Bible, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, but anyway, so I decided that um, if I was going to write something, I was going to write what, I, sorry, I have fuzz flying around. Um, <laughs> I was going to write what I like to read. And so... I had no idea how to do that when I first started out, but I had read voraciously. So like, I kind of knew how a book was laid out. I kind of knew, um, and I was very good at grammar and punctuation and that kind of stuff. So that wasn't going to be an issue. Uh, so I don't know. I just started writing and that's why I, I guess I was just drawn to that type of story. That's just the way God wired my brain. And so there I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I have to say, you know, I've seen your name around for years. I didn't realize how many books it was, but your name was very, um, uh, I've just lost the word, familiar to me. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, And I probably have read um, some of your books, you know, earlier on. But when I read Collateral Damage, I was thinking, no, I would have I would have remembered an author who is this good and has got me (laughs) so interested on every page. So I don't know, you know, how how you feel about your career, like at what point you were like, I've really gotten good, but you are really good right now. And I really loved Collateral Damage. I'm so glad it's book one and not book five or something so I can look forward to the rest of them. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's good to hear. That's good to know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, um, collateral damage happens to be, we'll kind of go back and forth among your books. You can tell us about your favorites or the ones that were hardest to write, but let's talk about collateral damage for a minute because it's, you know, a top of mind just came out brand new book, brand new series. Yay. Yay. (laughs) So, um, I think that I know who the next books in the series are going to be about just because of something that happens near the beginning of book one. I won't say anything in case um, you're not talking about that yet. Oh, no, you, you can say. It's fine. Okay. It's, so, yeah, I already have the title for that and everything. It's up on uh, Amazon, so we're good. Okay. All right. So it, um, for people who haven't read the book yet, this is not a spoiler. It happens very early on. So Lynette, are the four books about the four women who get together for lunch near the beginning? Yeah, okay. pretty pretty much. It's um, Brooke, who is in Collateral Damage, Sarah, who is in Acceptable Risk, which is book two, um, Heather Fontaine, the surgeon, who is in book three, and that's the book I'm actually working on now. And book four is Ava. It's not Kat, the photographer, which I kind of, I don't know, um, I, I've saved in that character for like a novella or something to continue the series a little bit after it actually ends. So, um, so those are the four and Caden, who was the FBI agent in book one, he's in all three books, um, which most of the characters are, but I have his point of view in all three books. And so he is actually the hero. He and Ava are the ones that get together in the end. Oh, okay. Nice. Oh, okay. These were really cool characters. And there's one other thing that I just have to kind of mention because it struck me, like I stopped reading because I was like, what? Um, So I just have to ask you this. I have never read an inspirational book 
um, meaning that, you know, it's getting published in like the, the Christian sector or, you know, something like that. It's generally meant to be um, slightly, at least slightly softer or sweeter or whatever. You actually use something I've only read in like Stephen King, Dig Dean Koontz, you know, Robert Ludlow. You say when someone gets shot, there was a red mist. And I went, oh my gosh, are you, are you allowed to say that? Did they not know that yeah. you said that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just, um, I mean, that's actually a military term for when oh. somebody gets shot. They, and they'll say, like, I had um, in my, all of my research and, and writing, especially the beginning of the book, um, it's like, it, it's a military term when, when uh, I'm going to turn him into a red mist or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was kind of a, it's kind of a play on words, but in, but a, but actually what happened. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think, um, and, and I do write for Christian publishing house and a lot of people think because you write for Christian public publishing house, you have to keep it so sterile maybe, or, um, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but no, I mean, you can get pretty gritty and, um, and, and they, they want, so you want it clean. I don't use language, um, but I also want it real. And I don't write fluff, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. I don't, I try to keep it real. And um, I don't know. I really don't know how I'm trying to describe that, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is realistic. And also um, part of the story, a good part of, of collateral damage is set in Afghanistan with, you know, the the U.S. troops and the things that they're doing there. So it would be ridiculous if you didn't make it sound real. Yes, um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, I have some thoughts in my head because I started um, I started down the road for writing and publishing in the mid to late 90s. And at that point, like everything that was being published in the Christian sector, um, like even the things that I was writing, they're like, yeah, that's too much. I'm like, really? I didn't even say anything that my mother doesn't <laughs> let me say. So I, yeah. it has changed a lot in the 20 years or so. But, and um, I think that's because the, their readers have given them feedback or that the, the feedback they've given about a lot of the stories has been, you know, look, you know, we, we might want a clean read, but we want a realistic read. You know what I mean? So, and yeah. I think they're, I mean, they're really allowing that to, to, to allowing you to do that. I mean, we all know, we all know where, you know, what's going on in the world, hopefully. And, um, and while reading, some, a lot of people use reading as an escape and some publishers say, well, we don't want to put this in because <clears throat> readers want to get away from that kind of stuff. I was like, well, yeah, maybe some, but I think the majority really appreciate having that escape in a realistic way. So. Anyway, yeah. And you know, the other thing that particularly, again, your book, Collateral Damage, what I was thinking near the end when I found out what was going on, which Brooke doesn't know at the beginning. And so you find out when she does. Um, and it's just absolutely horrifying. Definitely something that you would see on the news if the news, you know, was on at 11, not six. I don't know when kids could hear it. I mean, it's a, it's a really horrifying thing that happens. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I didn't mind and actually liked about it, which um, gave me the escape as well as the, 
you know, excitement of, of reading a book with lots of action in it was that um, the bad guys get it in the end. And I'm like, yeah, because the news <laughs> you usually don't get to hear that the bad guys, you know, got caught and viciously punished for the terrible things they've done. <laughs> well, yes, of course. That's how we all want, you know, we all want justice. I mean, I mean, there's a difference between justice and revenge. And, um, and I think ultimately, while, you know, you may start out wanting revenge, ultimately, you just really, we just all want justice. We want to see justice done. We want to see the bad guys get it in the end. And those are the kind of books that I, that I write, because that's how I feel about it. I was like, I want the bad guys to get it in the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be wonderful if, if everybody just, you know, it was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me, um, let me change my ways and be a good guy from now on. But it doesn't happen. No, no, we're not going to go there. But um, so, so yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I like, I really like writing those things. <laughs> so, but you know, it's funny when you say about how, how that is, it's such a horrifying thing. It is. And, um, and I actually had a reviewer say that the plot doesn't seem that realistic. And, uh, I mean, she gave, you know, she gave me really great, uh, a review, except, you know, except for that one plot, she could not wrap her head around that kind of thing actually happened. And actually, um, my editor, when I first turned the book in, she was like, Oh my goodness, this is so awful. This just really happened. And I sent her about 10 links um, of, you know, media and journalists reporting on this and all this. And I'm like, yes, it happens. It happens every day, unfortunately. Maybe not exactly in the way that I wrote it, but it sure. happens. And yeah. so it's a very realistic plot. It's a very tragic and sad plot. And I'm just thankful that there are people out there fighting that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the thing is, and when I write my books, I want to, my first, my first um, goal when I write a story is to make sure it's entertaining, it's page turning, it's people don't want to put the book down, they lose sleep over it. When somebody writes me and says, I lost sleep over your book last night, I'm like, yes, okay, good, I did my job. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but I also want, if I can, if I can work something in there so that there's like a, a teaching moment or some kind of theme or without beating somebody over the head, obviously, I don't want that to be like the, I don't want it to be obvious either, but I want the reader to walk away still thinking about the story going, wow, is that really possible? And then maybe go and Google it and search it and go, wow, that's really possible. So yeah. Yeah. And, and this is kind of odd. Um, just as luck would have it, you are the second person from the Carolinas who I've interviewed uh, who wrote a book for Ravel based on real things. Um, Lynn Blackburn. I'm, oh, I'm almost. <laughs> she's, she's a good buddy of mine. She lives five minutes from me. We get together all the time. So when I interviewed her about the book that came out for her, um, I don't know, six or seven months ago, I'm not sure exactly the, yeah. the timing. I think it was her last book. When, um, when I interviewed her about her book, she was saying, oh, yeah, not only is it real, but I found out it happens down the, down the road from where I live. And I'm like, what? The plot yeah. of her book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, I know. It, um, and the same thing in the story that I had with College Protect, I wrote about human trafficking. 
And I got the idea from the seven, <laughs> from the six o'clock news. That was um, when uh, there's a there's a sheriff in a county I used to live in, Spartanburg uh, City, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he always does Operation Rolling Thunder. And so this is where the um, one weekend out of the year, you never know which weekend it's going to be, that all the cops they just they're they're just out there in force on I-85, which uh, which is a major interstate around here, and um, they're out there, they're stopping people, they're doing traffic checks, and they actually stopped a white cargo van that was carrying nine people that were victims of human trafficking. This was like less than 20 minutes from my house, and they were there. It was a uh, um, sex trafficking, um, and I think it was part of partly sex trafficking, part like work. Uh, forced labor type yeah. thing, and um, yeah, I think there were nine. I think it was nine or twelve. I don't remember. But anyway, when I wrote the story, I looked up that um, that reporter that whoever reported on it, it was like a news. Uh, it was huge around here, and yeah. um, and I looked that up and I read it to refresh my memory. And that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, and so called to protect was taking place um, in the city, and you know, people are like. Oh, that would never happen. Well, yeah, it does. Yeah. And oh. you might be living next door to somebody who does it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Yeah, right? Oh, but my anyway. goodness. No, no. Okay. So um, so on the one hand, we know where the bad guys come from. Sadly, they come from the evening news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But on the other hand, you've got awesome bad guys or good guys. And when I say good guys, I mean good guys and good girls. So you've got military people and FBI. Tell us a little bit about uh, either in collateral damage or altogether in all of your books. You've got like these big kind of alpha heroes and some of them are women, which you know, a lot of times we get used to, particularly in romantic suspense, where the man maybe is a Navy SEAL and the woman is a reporter. But here you've got women right in the thick of things in the, I don't want to say yeah. war, because I'm not really sure that we're calling it a war. But anyway, in Afghanistan, the conflict. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so tell us about like where, where you got your ideas for all the good guys. Well, okay, so I started out, especially with... Um, uh, well, and I guess the very first series that I wrote, uh, I, it turns out I really like to write strong female characters. Now, I'm not a feminist, I, you know, I just, but I feel like, you know, women, um, women can do a lot and they're very intelligent people and, <laughs> you know, and they can be in law enforcement and they can have really some um, intense jobs and do a good job with it. Um, and so apparently that's been my, my, uh, I guess my bent. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. And and my publisher has really picked up on that. And so <clears throat> when I wrote the Elite Guardian series, they were very supportive in that. Oh yeah, we really want some strong female lead characters. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I can do that. And then when the next this next series. Um, uh, the Blue Justice series, the same thing, uh, strong female leads and, um, you know, and heroes to, I guess, match and be compatible with that. And then I came up with the next series, the Danger Never Sleep series, which um, they, again, specifically requested, we want four strong female characters. Okay. Uh, and so I guess that's kind of how I came about writing strong female characters. But I think that I try, I think I 
balance it pretty well. They're, they're, they're strong, they're capable, they're intelligent, they're, you know, they're all these things, but they're also women and they also have very much that, you know, that heart, um, that's not, they don't man bash. They like men, uh, you know, it's like, yeah. um, and they, but the, and the men in turn recognize, you know, they love these women for who they are, for their strengths and their weaknesses. They're, they, you know, they definitely have their weaknesses as we all do. Um, doesn't matter how strong you are, you're going to be weak somewhere. Uh, yeah. and you're going to have faults and you're going to, you know, um, and that kind of thing. And so I still wanted to show, I love to show just about every book I try to show that, um, you know, you can be strong, you can be weak, but, um, and, here, and here's a guy who's going to love you for who you are and accept you for who you are and vice versa. You know, guys don't have to be strong all the time. They, they can, <clears throat> the heroes, they can, they have their weaknesses. They have their Achilles heel, so to speak. And, yeah. um, and, you know, and, and, but together, together, they can balance that out and be strong together and be weak together. One be strong, one be weak, whatever. But together, um, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just, I'm trying to tell you how I try to balance the characters yeah. out without making them, without making them less than 3D, so to speak. I want 3D characters. You yeah. know, we're all made up of our, we have our physical, we have our spiritual, we have our emotional. We're made up those of those three things. And when you, if you try to leave one of those out, then you have a really flat character. And I really think you need all three in order to have a, a really well-rounded, well-created character. Yeah. And I thought you did such a great job in this book. And, and I, um, uh, not only as a writer, but I mean, first I'm reading it as a reader and I'm thinking, oh, this is the way I like it. I, I like to have, um, like I'm going through my office and, and cleaning my bookcases and putting, putting my books on bookcases out of moving boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. I found a cu- couple of books that, um, that I, I meant to read a long time ago, you know, got them in the library sale, looked at the copyright date yesterday. And, uh, I think two of them were from the mid nineties and I was reading the storyline oh, wow. going, uh, yeah. So he kidnaps her and carjacks her and then she falls in love with them. I don't really think mm-hmm. I feel like reading that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was a good story in the nineties, but now I'm not really into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, me either. <laughs> so it was so great when, um, Asher, right? That's the hero's name. Uh, uh, Asher James. Asher James is the hero in uh yeah. Oh, Asher, Asher, Asher. I thought you were talking about yeah, Asher. Oh, I sorry. didn't hear Asher. Yeah. I thought you said Ashley. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I was like, is this the right name? I remembered his yeah. last name. Yeah. But um, Asher. he's got this great mix of like he's the kind of char- character that you actually uh would want to have lunch with. I mean, yeah. he's he's really strong, like super duper tough, you know, military guy. Um yeah. but there's um, like there's a, an attraction that isn't all about, um, wow, she's the prettiest girl I've ever seen, you know, which is nice for it to not be that all the time. Not that I don't think my husband is like awesomely gorgeous, but <laughs> if that was the only compliment I ever gave him, you know, it would be nice. Yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I love that he sees in her something that he thinks will help him with this thing that he's struggling with. And I'm like, that right. is so cool. 
Yeah, yeah, because he comes back with some PTSD and some, you know, some issues that he really doesn't want to admit to because, you know, I mean, regardless of how we feel about men who um, who have a weakness, so to speak, men don't like weakness in themselves. I can yeah. speak to that because I have a husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but, you know, and yeah, and so she... When he finally, finally caves and's like, okay, I'm going to need some help here. <laughs> um, I think it's neat that he turns to someone. He, he has to find someone who he knows understands like personally what he's going through. And because of their past experience, he knows he can trust her and he knows that she will get what's in his head. Yeah. The other thing that I liked about Brooke so much was that um, she didn't have to join. It's the army, right? In this book. Yeah. The army. Yeah. Army. She didn't have to join the army. She could have just, you know, been a civilian doing her life, but she decided to join the army. And what you find out about her is that really no one wants to talk to her. And you're like, Oh, I totally understand that. And you're like, I'm trying, I did this to help you people. Why won't anybody just, talk to me. And yet then later, uh, is it okay for me to say, um, then later she finds out that people do, uh, respect her. Yeah. 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 That was, I was trying to figure that because, you know, PTSD, I mean, it's on the cover back cover of the the book, what the issues are. So I'm not like trying to, trying to keep that (laughs) a secret. Um, you know, from what I understand in my research and talking to different vets and, um, and people who are actually still serving, um, PTSD is, is, it's different for everyone and people deal with it differently, but for the most part, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to, um, they just, they just, yeah, it's part of a pride thing. It's partly, um, <clears throat> a a denial thing like if I just deny it it'll go away and so I mean it's a mixture of things that make it really hard to talk about and um and so I think that was probably pretty realistic that she's over there she's traveled over there to gone to Afghanistan with a full intention of wanting to help um and and give these um service members a safe place a safe person to talk to and they just they were like they might listen <laughs> but, but she didn't realize they were listening and she yeah. got really discouraged about that she just got really really discouraged about that yeah I like I like the like all the things that you didn't say you know because I could like in my mind I'm imagining I'm like oh yeah but then you know like over the course of your life or maybe you know, like uh, the way that I sometimes think of things, maybe when I get to heaven and, you know, I die and I get to heaven and then I'll be like, oh, I did actually make, you know, a positive impact on the world. But right now it's not really feeling like it. You know, I like that she might, she might have that kind of feeling. Yeah, I think she, I think she really did. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, maybe not in the beginning, not, to, not when she was discouraged, but, you know, later when she realized that, oh, oh okay. Maybe, yeah. Okay, maybe I made more of a difference than I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now I'm thinking about the, um, the 
uh, careers of some of the other women who will be in your series. And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I wonder like if we'll see that kind of, that kind of um, vulnerability in, in the other women too, like the moments when it feels like they're not doing their job well. And then later they're like, oh, okay, people are appreciating, like I did a good job in the end, or I don't know. I, I just, I like it. I like the way you write, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. I, I can continue to live up to those standards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually let's segue a little bit into writing. My, um, my computer cord keeps coming, uh, coming, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop playing with it. I've got 100% battery. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, okay. So let's segue into the writing part. I don't know. Uh, I'll pretty much just let you decide where you want to start. Um, I'm really interested in the way that you, um, the, the research or the way that you like stop to think about how am I going to write this character to make them so beautifully three-dimensional and realistic, like it's somebody I really know. Um, and I'm also really interested in um, all the different kinds of research that you have to do. You have so many different kinds of characters. It seems like you must have done a ton of research. So wherever you'd like to talk about like the writing part. Okay. Um, well, when I start a book, I, I'm mostly an organic writer, like seat of the pants, just sit down, start writing the story. But I have found after so many books um, that my brain doesn't quite work as well as it used to when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sad. Um, no, and it, it's just, um, I find that I have to sit down, I have a character sketch. And I find that I have to sit down and kind of write out what I think my character is going to be like, what kind of personality he or she is going to have. Are they laid back? Are they high strung? Are they high maintenance? You know, um, that kind of thing. And then I kind of have to figure out their family, their background, um, and just try to make sure that um, when I'm writing the character, I'm being consistent. And if something happens, it's, it's realistic that the character would act that way. Um, and so that's what, that's kind of how I start writing. I, I, I just start down, I, start, I have two characters and the villain, and I just start doing a character sketch. And then I kind of have to think about, okay, and I may even know the first scene. I may even know exactly what's going to happen in the first scene. But if I don't know the characters well enough to know how they would react to that, then it's not going to come off as, um, as well done. And so, yeah. and sometimes as, as I'm going through the book and I'm writing, my characters, um, are growing and changing and, you know, and I may, um, and sometimes if I don't like the way the book is going or the way the story is going or the way the character is going, I may have to go back and change that first scene and redo it. Uh, usually before the end of the story, I'm, I change the first scene, uh, at some way, somehow, not completely, but at least, you know, four or five times. And so until I get it, how I think it needs to be to make sure the story that comes after that is going to be, you know, make sure it's set up the story the right way. That first scene is really critical for me. Um, and, and then, Oh, what was the last part of the question? <laughs> My writing. Um, so yeah, part of it. Yeah. Uh, part of it, um, characters and how uh, the 
the things that you do think about or whatever to make them seem so realistic, but also the types of characters, it seems like there's a ton of research you'd have to do. Oh, the research, the research. That was it. Yeah. Yes, very much. Um, I've been doing this now for 20 years, I guess, but I didn't get published till 2007. So I've been published, what, 13 years? Um, and I'm still, and I'm getting pretty good with the law enforcement stuff. Like I've done it so much and written so many law enforcement scenes and talked to so many cops and, and professionals. I have two FBI agents that read every story that I write and wow. give me feedback. Yeah. Um, they're phenomenal. I, I mean, I, just, I couldn't do it without them. And, um, so, but the research side of it, especially the military, this military books, when I have military, I, I, military is not my background. My dad was in the air force. Um, my father-in-law was in the army. You know, I have military in my family, but that's not my background. I haven't lived it day out and day out. And so I feel like I really need professionals to, to read what I'm writing and say, okay, no, this is completely wrong. This is how it will really work. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, I do have a couple of those um, in my resource packet. <laughs> yeah, I can pull out and say, okay, hey, Vincent, read this. You're the military guy. Read this and tell me what you think. Um, so, so that's really cool. But um, and then you know when I'm researching, uh, I had to do um, you know in the beginning of collateral damage, there's that massive grave site. And um, I had, I went to, I have a, a crime scene writer's loop that anybody can join. If you write uh, law enforcement, um, forensics, whatever, join crime scene writers. There are so many professionals on there um, that can give you great feedback. You just type in a question and say, hey, this is my scenario. How do I make this real? What would happen? I have a dead body. It's been in the ground for six months. What would it look like? You know, and, and you will get like almost an immediate response. And if somebody on there doesn't know, then they will refer you to somebody who does. Like, for example, in that mass grave site, uh, <clears throat> there was a, a chief medical examiner who is on this crime scene writers loop. And she's out in California. And she's like, well, let me put you in touch with the one who is in Greenville, South Carolina, because she's going to know the climate. She's going to know, she's going to know the procedures that you have in place in that, in your area. And so she did, she put me in touch with um, medical examiner here, one of them, her name was Grace. And she let me ask her any questions and she answered and basically gave me the procedures for excavating that that grave site and the, how long it would take and where the bodies would go and who would handle it and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I mean, that, it, so resources, building your resources, networking, building those contacts are just, I can't even tell you, incredibly helpful and, and necessary to write a, a book that's going to come, come across as realistic and, and getting it right. And the thing is, yeah. it's really great because these professionals, they want you to get it right. They want, if you're writing about their profession, they're passionate about their profession. That's why they do it. And, um, and they want you to get it right. So they will, they will take the time to help you, which is phenomenal. And um, I really, really appreciate uh, everybody who's really poured into my stories. Um, there's one, uh, conference. It's in Nashville, Tennessee. It's called Killer Nashville. <laughs> it's I know, and um, but it's 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 all about thriller 
uh, thriller writing, mysteries, law enforcement, that kind of stuff. And they bring in Clay Stafford um, is the director of the conference. He and his wife, they do it together and they bring in all these professionals and they do panels and they have all kinds of different topics. And between Killer Nashville, Writers Police Academy, who also sponsors MurderCon, um, I, I did that last year. So you go to all these conferences. I know the names of the conferences. Those are great names. <laughs> yeah, they're great. You know, and then you have Thriller Fest in New York and ACFW, which is um, American Christian Fiction Writers, is in St. Louis, Missouri this year. I mean, Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference. I mean, but they bring in all of these professionals and you can, I mean, there's just, and they're so willing to hand you their card and say, email me if you got a question about, you know, my expertise and that's area. And um, I was like, uh, it was killer in Nashville two years ago. And um, there was this one guy who, uh, he retired, but for 30 years, he'd worked for um, the airline uh, TSA agent. And he works in Miami, the Miami date. And he would, he had developed this wild system of figuring out if there were drugs coming in on flights from Mexico. And he was strictly, and he would, he would go straight to these people and they pull them off the planes and they would, they would search them. And I mean, he had slide after slide after slide, picture after picture of drugs and people that he'd arrested. And I mean, it was just crazy. And he's like, so if you ever need any help about, how people run drugs let me know because i've seen it all and so i mean it's just amazing the people that you meet at, at conferences it's well worth the investment as a writer to go yeah. to these conferences yeah i know it's expensive it's not cheap and it's and you know and when you're not published yet you're but you're working toward publication um and funds are tight it's hard to you know imagine how is this really going to benefit me? But I, I promise you it does. Wow. Wow. Okay. This is, this is so interesting. I'm going to be hosting a writer's conference in Melma, Sweden this fall. And I'm thinking, Fun. okay, you know what? I wonder if I could get like somebody in forensics from Sweden and somebody in forensics from Denmark and talk about how it works in different countries and stuff like that. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> Absolutely. Be okay, so most people are willing. You just have to ask. Yeah, that that's so cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's good news for all of us because um I you know I, I I don't know if I don't know what part of it of the personality it is, but an awful lot of people and I'm one of them. I think yes, I'm going to ask, but then I never actually asked. I'm like, "Oh, you know, maybe it's too soon in the manuscript. Maybe I should wait until like I I'm I'm better." <laughs> no. No, I mean, you know, what you do is you reach out, you make that contact with that person um like for example my my blue justice series was set in columbia south carolina now i went to college in columbia i know the city fairly well but that was <clears throat> years ago and um, <laughs> and so it has changed quite a bit since then but they still the the law enforcement part is still divided into different regions it's in um five different regions east west north south and one other one. Well, I didn't want to set corrupt cops in one of those regions. So I made my own region and called, I think I called it the Metro. I can't remember. It's been so long ago. I read a lot of books yeah. since then. Yeah. But, um, but so that I have a friend who goes to First Baptist Church in Columbia and she's like, oh, we're good friends with um, 
with one of the sheriffs here if you ever need any um you know information i said that would be fabulous and so his name is leon lunt and she gave me his email i emailed him and so anytime i had a question about what would happen in in columbia in a law enforcement situation he fired back and gave me an answer and i was able to make it you know realistic to that area because of his willingness to answer questions so <clears throat> most people really i mean they're just really great about doing that kind of stuff, especially through email yeah. uh, email's easy and you answer it when you have time yeah so, yeah so i yeah. would say i would say don't don't wait go ahead and find somebody to ask and then say hey do you mind if i email you over the course of the story that way you don't have like 50 million questions for them at right. one time and it yeah. doesn't take them nearly as much time to send off you know a paragraph rather than go through and find all your questions <laughs> right that's a good point that's an excellent tip i like that because yeah. uh, part of me sometimes is thinking you know what i'll put all my questions in one email so that it's not not necessarily for this kind of conversation but yeah. you know some other thing i think oh i should put all everything in one email so they don't lose it but you know this is a much better idea for this sort of question <laughs> <laughs> So um, when you are asking somebody to read, you know, the section that pertains to their job, have you found that there is um, a, a certain kind of, uh, basically, so let's just call them beta readers, uh, even though it's not, you know, they're probably not reading yeah, the no, book. Okay. Yeah, the concept, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so have you found that there's anyone who... Uh, they're really good at this, but not really good at like reading and responding the way that you need feedback from, from not your question, but from actually having read the book. I, I mean, or is everybody equally? Yeah, no, I, there's been a couple who's, who's like said, oh, I'll read it. And then I don't ever hear anything back. I mean, <clears throat> not many, but a couple. And so I just, it's, a, and it's fine. I get it. People are busy. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time and energy at, to sit down and read a manuscript, you know. And so I have found that sometimes it works better um, for that other individual and not so overwhelming if you will take chunks of your manuscript and say, okay, here is where I have this scene. Do you mind reading this scene? and just making sure that I have portrayed my police officer correctly, or like I've, I've written the procedural correctly, and give me some feedback on that. And I found that that sometimes is a lot better for some people. Now, like I said, my two FBI agents, they, they're retired. Um, they actually still work. Um, and they retired, uh, <laughs> sense of the word um, yeah yeah and they still offer their expertise so um but anyway so when they both read like I said they both read every manuscript now it may not be quite as timely as I might need it to be yeah but and and yet and yet it is it, it may not be right before I turn the first draft not the first draft but my the first time I the turn first. the book in yeah. before a bunch of edits but by the time I get the book back from my copy editor, um, I have they have the they have those edits back to me, or they have their suggestion. I call them edits because I'm usually <laughs> it's usually like another round of edits. But yeah, um, 
So, so those two, I know, are going to read the full manuscript. And then Lynn Blackburn and I, we, we read each other's books a lot. Um, oh, how give fun. each other feedback. Yeah. We, we, um, we are uh, critique partners, brainstorming partners, writing partners. We do, we get together and do 15 minutes sprints and see if we can feed each other how many words we can get written in 15 <laughs> minutes, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we found that we're much more productive that way. So, um, so yeah, so people are just, you know, you just gotta ask and if they say no, okay. Yeah. I move on to somebody else, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. okay. I don't ever take offense when somebody says, I just don't have time. Yeah. I get it. I get, I have to say that myself. I just don't have time. I have three manuscripts sitting on my email box that I would love to read for people that are looking to get published. And, um, and I know they're probably very good. It's just, I, I have to keep up with my own stuff and right. I mean, yeah. And, and, but then there'll be times where I have kind of, more time and that's when I'll go and I'll say okay I can read now do you still need me to read and then I'll do it so yeah 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 okay so to to wrap up with a few bullet points for listeners um don't be afraid to ask someone in their profession if they would read a section and just find out if they say yes great if they say no you can find someone else to ask don't be afraid to ask yes yeah. Okay. And there are plenty of people ask at these conferences. <laughs> okay. And plus, um, when you're in between conferences, uh, there are places where you can find these people online, uh, different groups. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's a group that has something to do with, I think the word expert is in the group somewhere, and it's all kinds of experts in all oh. sorts of fields. Yeah. And I, of course, can't think of what it's called. Um, haven't used it, but I've heard other people talk about it. Writers talk about it. Yeah. Um, plus, uh, always, you know, um, you didn't mention this one, but when I was, uh, writing a scene that had, you know, um, an ambulance coming and EMTs working on people and then going to the hospital, I was like, I'm totally making this up. I've never been in an ambulance. <laughs> so I just went on Facebook and I said, has anybody here ever driven an ambulance, been an EMT, had an emergency you know, family situation themselves. And then all of a sudden, like you said, one person refers me to someone else and I just went, needed them to read this one scene and people gave me feedback and then I mm -hmm. changed it. And I was like, Oh, this is great. I feel a lot more confident than. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Just oh, wonderful things for your confidence. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then for, um, it seems like pretty much a lot of your advice is pretty much just get into it ask for help um, when somebody's too busy, maybe isn't, you find out somebody, I kind of was reading between the lines with this. You tell me if this is not what you meant. If somebody maybe isn't the best beta reader, even though they're really good at the facts of their job, maybe that you yeah. won't ask them to beta read the next one, but you'll still ask them questions that they can help you with for the facts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then uh, the, the rest of your writing seems to be just, you know, your personality, doing it an organic way, starting with the, the main two characters and the villain. Um, who was I talking to? I think it was Patricia Bradley. I oh. love that she said she didn't actually know who the villain was a lot of times. She would yeah, just yeah. write a scene that was from his or her point of view. And then and <laughs> she enjoyed the idea that she was going to figure it out as she went along as well. So that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the villain changes. Like I, I, I've done this a couple of times. Like I'll start yeah. out thinking I know who the villain is. I'm like, oh, 
this person is not the villain, they're the red herring. And then the real villain is so-and-so, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That happens. It All happens. right. Yeah. All right, yeah, that's a good really tip, bad too. If characters turn up dead, but yeah, then you're like, wait a minute, how'd that happen? Yeah. yeah. This person can't be the villain if they're dead. <laughs> I know, right? Awesome. Okay, these are great tips. I love, uh, I love helping um, everyone to find something that, because even if you're not writing a suspense, like one of your other great tips was deciding who the main characters are and getting to know them well enough to know how they're going to react as you start writing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's key. If I find myself stuck, like not knowing what's going to happen next or what to write next, um, I find that if I'll go back to my character development, it's usually something I've missed in developing that character. And I can um, flesh her out or him out a little better. And then I'm like, oh, I know where I need to go with this. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Lynette, this is so much fun. I feel like we've only been looking, talking for 20 minutes, but I look at the clock. I'm like, oh, no, I promised I would let you go so you can get back to writing. I am. They're going really fast. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let everybody know. Um, tell us again the new book title and series name. And also just where can people find you and your books? Okay. Well, Collateral Damage in the Danger Never Sleeps series is book one. And um, you can find me online at my website, LynetteEaston.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm not on Instagram that much, so if you leave me a message on there, it might be two months before I see it. But yeah. Facebook and my web, you know, my website with a contact me form is probably the best way to get in touch with me. So, so yeah, that's where I am. Awesome. You have been so helpful and interesting. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I appreciate it.